Are we ready, Mr. Caleb? Thank you, sir. Okay. Oh, Father, we just thank you and we praise you, Lord. We just give Frank a big hug for us, Lord. Mm -hmm. We miss him already. He was such a precious body member of our church, Lord. Just help us, give us more revelation, Father. Send us dreams tonight. Open your heavens in this place, Father. Over all of us, they're open. Teach us how to reach in, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Anna. I never quite heard that. That kind of hit me. When you said give Frank a hug for us, that was cool. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, tonight's lessons on families. And it, as I looked over the notes, some of these have kind of snuck up on me. This was another one that when we were teaching the whole church and taking them through on Sunday morning, we divided this one into two. And I was like, well, we don't have any more Wednesdays to divide this into two. So I took out some stuff, and the rest of it we're going to have to kind of fly through. I didn't take out anything that's real, real pertinent and important. I kept all the stuff that's the main oomph of it. But we're going to cover both of those. We're going to talk about marriages first, and then we're going to kind of flip and talk about children. And what I would say is, like everything else in this discipleship course, some of it is right where people are at this moment. Some of it is you're not there. You, you've either matured beyond that or like in the case of kids, your kids are grown or, you know, or you're single, so you're not married. But what I would say is everything in discipleship is not just what you're taking in. Look at it this way. It's not just for you, but it's for you to get in so you can share with others. Spencer told me that he had the opportunity to share with some kids uh, on Tuesday, I guess, of this week, some of the material that he received here. So, so take this in as, as something that you can give out. The, the ladies who are older can teach the younger ladies on the children. Well, if they take notes on this, this is something that you can pass on as, as some of them come to you, not only from your experience, but then you can say, and this is what the Word of God says. So I just want to make that real clear. Some things will always apply more to certain people than others, but take every bit of it in as though you yourself were going to teach it, whether it's a class or whether it's a one-on-one. All right? So, and that will really help, I think, on this one. Let me ask this question, little discussion. What do families have to do with discipleship? Anybody? Beautiful. That's a great answer. Somebody else? That's pretty powerful there. It was God's plan to carry on the knowledge of him to the next generation. Very powerful. Let's face it, you're with family more than probably just about anything else. It's not working there. Somebody said, then don't export it. That would, that, you know what? That, I'm going to write that down. That could become a quiz question. If it doesn't work at home, don't export it. I actually heard that a long time ago. I forgot about it. Somebody else. Ah. So the three of the twine being, that's what, what absolutely, there's strength in numbers. Okay, anybody else? Cool. Absolutely. Everybody. All these are good. Yeah, it it is. In fact, I think we used the analogy. Did we use the analogy of raising a family on discipleship? I know we used the base path. I don't know if we used the analogy of a family. But you could. A baby's born. We have people born again. You disciple your children. We disciple new babes in Christ. They grow up, your children grow up. But the goal is not to have 
the kids hanging around forever. The goal is eventually to what? Release them to start the whole process all over again. And that's the same way of Christianity. We see somebody get saved. We disciple them. We raise them up. We disciple them. They come to the point where we release them, and they go out and lead somebody to Jesus. They disciple them, and it just keeps going and going and going. So that's an excellent point. Anybody else? Well, let's take a look at what we've got here. We're going to talk about marriages first, and it's interesting. I've had the privilege of doing a lot of weddings over the years. I think the last wedding I did was a young couple that's sitting right here in front of me, Caleb and Ashley. And, uh, but I've had the privilege of doing a lot of weddings over the years. What is amazing to me is you can always see that it's, it's like the fire of love is kindled. It's so real. It's so full of expression in these young married couples, and, and especially at that wedding time. So what happens? What happens? Why? Why? What? Where does it go? Why do almost 50% of marriages end in divorce? Why? Where does it go? What happened to that love? I mean, if you looked on the wedding day, it'd be impossible to predict, oh, that one's going to get a divorce. Oh, that one's going to hang in there. It would be impossible to predict because they all look like they're madly in love with each other. So what we want to share with you is that just like a fire, occasionally that fire goes down, and once the fire really goes down, that Cracker Barrel, when that fire is going down, how many of you love to sit in front of that big fireplace, that Cracker Barrel? Isn't that cool to sit there? I love, you know, and I think a lot of people say, sit me as close to that fireplace as possible. But when that fire goes down, what do they have to do? They have to go back and throw another log on the fire, or it's going to go out. So in your marriages, in our marriages, we're going to have to continually, and it never ends, throw logs on the fire or the fire could go out. So these are four logs. If you were to say what logs you would throw on the fire to keep the fire kindled of your marriage, anybody. We're going to get a little discussion going here. What are some logs you would throw on? I'm sorry? Alone time. Making sure you have some alone time. How many of you know that can be a challenge? Schedules are busy, you know, and then on top of that, you got work, you got this, you got that, and then the pastor comes along and says, hey, we need you to take discipleship to another night gone there, you know, and so, so you got to, ch- it's a challenge to find that alone time. Right. I, I know what you're saying. For the two. That's what's the challenge is to find that because so many demands on us. But that's a great log. Now, these are, I'm asking you because these are logs you may have that I'm going to be real general on the four that I'm putting up here. So the, yours will probably be more specific. Respect. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I love the fact that you guys are mentioning some logs. Because, again, mine are going to be very general. That's a very specific respect. And if respect isn't there, the fire can go out quick. Being sensitive. Yeah. She said that with all the femininity. Females tend to be more sensitive to those kind of things. They're kind of aware of that. Guys aren't always. Although all the guys in this room, we just happen to be an exception to that. Right, guys? We are very sensitive, right? All right. (laughs) (laughs) there's an an honest man yeah anybody else we'll just take a couple more understanding and forgiving and those are two separate ones because the understanding is really important sometimes you have to go back you have to ask what did you mean how many of you know that we don't always catch things the way it was thrown and I've sometimes thrown things, and I could tell. I've actually used this phrase before, and I've seen you know, my wife angry or upset, Linda angry or upset or hurt, and I said, whoa, 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 I don't think you caught that the way I was throwing that. Let's back up and let, let me tell you how I was throwing it, because apparently somehow it was lost in the translation. So understanding is critical. But then he said something else. What was the other one? Forgiveness. You're not going to have a fire for a long time if you don't have forgiveness. 
Because the closer you are to people, the more the, the more the tendency to hurt people. And so therefore you have to have forgiveness. Yes, sir. Sharing your this coming from the guy who doesn't feel anything, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Hey, we, we, they get to that part. So, what's your feelings, Fred? Mm, don't really have any. What's yours? No. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I'm just, just giving you a hard way to go. Excellent, excellent. To be able to share your dreams, to share things together. Well, let me give you. Let's get a couple more. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, people forget communication is also listening. By the way, James says, "Be every man be slow to speak, swift to hear. We were all given two ears, one mouth. So that's a real key to communication. Communication is more listening than it is speaking. And that's really crucial because everybody wants to speak. And they want to get their point and they get their message across. And sometimes it's, I've learned just to... Be quiet. Just listen. Good, good, good. Excellent. Shared faith. Shared faith. How critical that is. Um, Anna, I, I won't, without your permission, I won't share. Would, are you sure? Okay. Um, Anna brought a young man here for a couple weeks in a row. His name was Mike. Some of you may have got a chance to greet Mike. Hopefully you did. I had a chance to greet him and talk with him some and actually put, share the plan of salvation with Mike because Mike wasn't saved. Mike was interested, but he wasn't saved. And Anna knew going into this that if he didn't give his life to Jesus, that she could not continue that relationship because Jesus is the most important thing in her life. She heard something you actually shared on a Sunday morning, one Sunday, Mary Lou. She heard something you shared in the church meeting that you shared publicly. And I can't remember how you said it. She actually heard it, and that was the first day that I talked to Mike. And I looked at Mike, and I said, you know, Jesus is the most important thing to her. And she wants to be able to share that with the other person that's the second most important person in her life. Well, this past week, and I, I, I'm very proud of Anna making what I know was a very difficult decision, but she broke up with this young man. And she said, some, you know, and I mean natural female feelings, she said some other woman's going to get a good guy, a good provider, or a, 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 got a good job, and he, he's kind to me and he loves me. It's just the one area that's my most important area. You did. And I just, I told her when she emailed, texted me, I think it was email, it doesn't matter, I think it was text, but said, I'm going to be doing this tonight, would you pray? And I, there were a lot of tears after that. There was a lot of heartache. It was, it was not easy. And and uh, Susan Blosser, who is very close to Anna as well, said, he is worthy. And we're having to pay a cost sometimes to follow the Lord that we love. But he is worthy. And he will honor that. And And he will give her a young man that loves Jesus and is also a good provider and the other things that she desires in a man. So um, thank you for letting me share that. Thank you for allowing that because that, I think, spoke to, obviously spoke to a lot of people here. And you guys can be holding Anna up in prayer because there will be times. You can make the right decision. There will still be times where that will hurt. It will hurt for a while. But I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I am so proud of you. I just cannot tell you. So let me give you, uh, and I don't know how I even got off on that, but let, let's let's take a look at this. And there's several scriptures here in the box. Why don't and they're all numbered. So let's just keep that mic going, and then we'll give you the four logs. And we're going to have to. Well, I'm doing a lot of talking here, and we're going to really have to book on this. This was two two lessons in one. We haven't even gotten into the lesson yet. <laughs> so, uh, Caleb, go ahead and start off, brother, because I know that uh, 
Yeah, in fact, you are starting it off because she prayed. Go ahead, if you would, and read. Uh, no, it's short. Why don't you read 20 and 21 since 20 is so short there? And Genesis 2 is where we're at. For Adam, no suitable helper was found. So, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place of flesh. Hey, Ashley. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Okay. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Okay. Let me share with you the four logs, and we're not going to go into a lot of detail on these. Log number one we're going to call pursue. The log that you want to always keep throwing on the fire is the log of pursuit, pursuing the other person, pursuing the other person. So let's see, where did we leave off? Mary Lou, if you want to read that scripture, please. Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Read that very first part because I, I made a word bold in there and I did that on pur- purpose. He who what? Finds a wife. He who finds a wife. In other words, there is some pursuit involved in looking for that wife. Now, why do we need to keep throwing the log of pursuit on the fire? Because the tendency is to stop pursuing after we're married. Before you're married, it's amazing. It's amazing what guys will do to win that woman. And it's amazing what women will do sometimes to win that guy. Everybody puts their best foot forward. But after they're married, that often stops. They don't pursue each other like they were before they were married. Let me go and talk a little bit about guys. Because guys and gals are obviously different. Guys, basically, I I wrote down, and and you may have it on yours, I, I think you do, Men conquer, beg it, and they're done. They kill it, they hunt it, they kill it, and they beg it, and then they're done. Nothing's clearer than this, and I'm speaking in generalities here. You can find exceptions to all these generalities. But in general, men, when it comes to shopping, are miles different from women shopping. When my wife says shopping, what she's really saying is shopping. Gary Smalley loves to use the illustration of how he went with his wife and she was picking out a dress and she picked one out, came out, put it on. So what do you think? He could tell she liked it. And he says, I think it looks great. Let's go ahead and get it. He said to his whore, she went back in, took it off, put it back on the rack and started looking some more. He says, what are you doing? She says, oh, you've got to look at several options before you buy. He said he was there all afternoon. Whereas myself, I do a lot of the shopping in our family because my schedule's a little freer during the day. And so if I'm out, I'll stop. I'll grab some groceries. I have my list. I know exactly where the things are at. There's no, none of this shopping. I mean, it's shopping. I go in, conquer it, beg it, and go out. That's it. Now, here's the problem. Men often treat their marriages the same way. Before they're married, they're hunting that woman. They're trying to capture that woman. And they, it's, it's in them to pursue. And so they will do everything they can to get that woman. But after they walk down that aisle, it's done. They've conquered. They've begged the woman. They got her. It's done. And so at this point, it's natural for guys, natural for them to stop pursuing like they were doing before they were married. I've talked to several women. It's like they said after that day, it was amazing. It was just like day and night. All of a sudden, I found out he had all these friends. I didn't even know he had friends when he was busy pursuing me. But now he not only has friends, but he wants to hang out with the friends all the time. So what I would say to the guys is keep pursuing like you did before you were married. Keep pursuing. You've got to pursue her, never stop. My wife loves it when I pursue her. She 
she loves it. She loves it. I can tell. She feels treasured. She feels prized. Now, I'm not real good at this, so I don't want to make you think that I'm real good at this. i got a lot of work to do on this. But when I do it, I can tell. And that law can really do a lot to keep that flame going. Well, how about women? Women are not naturally the pursuers. Guys are. God made men more the pursuers. So this point doesn't seem to apply to women, but it does. Before women are married, they will often fix themselves up, doll themselves up, do everything they possibly can. And I've talked to some men who say, it's amazing, after we were married, all of a sudden, the hair just went every which way, the makeup didn't come on hardly ever, you know, and things changed. And so I would say to the women, what did you do before you were married? See, that's the key. We're looking at a wedding. Again, how many, of those mar- how many of those weddings, marriages at those weddings, how many would you predict at that time are going to end in divorce? None of them look like they will. But we have to keep throwing the logs on. So log number one, very general, but very important, pursue. Log number two is prize. We want to prize our mate. This is a great scripture. Sorry, go ahead. Yes. Matthew 13:44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Okay, just before I go into this, anybody tell me, what do you see in that verse? Now, we're we're going to liken this to marriage in a minute. But this is talking about the kingdom of heaven. So it could be the kingdom of heaven, it could be your mate. What do you see in there? Oh, okay, well then we don't need to go any further because that's where I wanted to go with this. You, you, you hit it right on the head. But what did he see? What made him sell everything he had? Was it the field or was it the treasure? It was the treasure because that's, his focus was entirely on the treasure. I want that treasure. And I'm willing to sell everything I've got so that I can have that treasure. I don't even see a field. Well, if you want the treasure, you've got to buy the field. Oh, I'll take the field. I don't care. I want the treasure. All he saw was the treasure. Now, pretend that this is the top of our page right here. Right here is the top of our page. There's no writing up there. This is the top of our page. That's the bottom. That's our page. What do you see? What do you see? Does everybody see the dot? All right. Now, here's what I want to share. Here's what I want to share. Let's just say that people come to me later on, and they're having marital problems. And I'm counseling them. And let's say the dot represents the reason why they're really coming to me. They're upset. And so they look at me and they're, they're telling me all about this dot. Now I'm looking at their whole marriage and I'm going, that dot's really not that big of a deal. And I said, yeah, but what about all this? No, 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 you're not getting it. It's, it's the dot. Now here's the thing. Before they're married, all they could see was this, that dot was always there. That flaw, that personality trait, that thing that bothers them, it was almost always, always there. But all they could see was the this good. Now, all they can see is this. And it's all what you focus on. So in the treasure on the field, it kind of messes this up because it kind of looks backwards here. But this would be the field in this case. And the treasure would be all of this. What are you going to focus on? Is your wife, is your husband the treasure? Or now all you focus on, yeah, but I got the field. I, did, I didn't know. Yeah, I got to rake the field. I got to mow the field. And oh, by the way, that field over there looks better than my field. Ooh. Which is often what happens in a lot of marriages. All of a sudden, 
they forget that that field has to be mowed, that field has weeds, that field has all the same stuff. Or they look over there and all they can see is, look at the treasure over there. Look at the treasure over there. They don't even see the field. All they see is the treasure. Well, they got the treasure right here. That's what I want to do. Sometimes, forgive me, this will sound harsh, but sometimes I just want to slap people silly when they're sitting across from me and go, listen, what did you see that day you walked down the aisle? Because you're no longer seeing that. Now your entire focus is on the field. I've actually used this scripture in the marriage and in marriage counseling, trying to get them to once again look at the treasure. That was a treasure to you. The field was there then. You just didn't see it. Now that's all you see. All right? Next. Prioritize. Prioritize. By the way, I want to say, I want to go back one, right before we do, you can go in and write prioritize. I want to go back to the prize and say one more thing that was on my notes. I think it may be on yours. And then we'll read the scripture here in just a second, Spencer. Uh, Gary Smalley, in his uh, marriage counseling thing he does, and he's, he's a funny guy. Man. If you ever get a chance to hear his stuff, it's, it's funny stuff. Especially when he talks about the difference between men and women. He goes into a lot more than what I do tonight. But um, in one of his sessions, he brings out a Stradivarius, and I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm not even sure. Stradivarius violin. But when you look at this violin, the strings were just kind of loose and dangling and probably missing some strings. It looked old. didn't even look that great at shape. And so he's passing it around, and people were just kind of, you know, he, he handed it to somebody, and they were getting ready to just kind of carelessly pass because it didn't look like much of anything. And he said, no, 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 wait, 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 before you pass that. And he told him how much it was worth. And I don't remember. It's been a long time since I've seen that video, but he told him how much it was worth. And those things are worth a lot of money. And all of a sudden, it was interesting, because they're videotaping this. You see the people passing it, and they're like, be careful, be careful. And they're passing it delicately, carefully. And he said, that's the way you need to treat your mate. You need to prize them like they're a Stradivarius violin. Spencer, when you go home, say, honey, you are a Stradivarius. Just tell her that. Just knock her socks off. She'll be, she'll be clueless. She'll be like, what's that? You know, then you can explain it to her. She has. All right? So we want to prize them. All right, number three, prioritize. Prioritize. There's several scriptures here. Just read one or read two if you want and then pass them on down. These two and three read together. Four, uh, Fred read four, Chris read five. First Corinthians Chapter 7, verses 2 through 5. Each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now specifically, if we were to talk specifically what this, this passage is talking about, it's talking about physical union or sex. That's specifically what it's talking about. We're going to generalize it a little bit more. Because basically they're saying you need to make that a priority. It needs to become a priority in your life. Your mate needs to become a priority in your life. And so you want to make sure that you prioritize. Now, let me just say this. Um, when we do marriage counseling, we talk about divorce statistics. And we share with people that the highest divorce rate is among and I don't know if you guys will remember this or not. I don't want to put you on the spot because you might not remember. But if you do, let me know. The highest divorce rate is among, who do you think? It's an age group in this case. Yeah, teenagers. They, by far, it's kind of a no-brainer. They have the highest divorce rate. They're not prepared. They're not ready. I mean, it's just like, 
my mom and dad got married. My mom was 16. My dad was 17. That's, that's almost unheard of for those marriages to make it. In this day and age, they don't because divorce is not, it's not frowned upon like it was. And my mom and dad had to work through a lot of stuff because a woman will change tremendously between the age of 18 and about 25. She changes a lot in what she desires, wants. And so I actually recommend people wait. Wait till later. Wait till later. But the second highest divorce rate. Differences in age. Oh, that's good. That's good. That was in a sheet of paper that I handed out, but that's not actually where I'm going with this, though. Um, We handed out a paper that talked about things that raise the statistics of divorce, things that are, are predictors of divorce. One of them was differences of age. Now, again, you may know some people that can combat that. It can be done. It can be done. But the second highest divorce rate, we want to talk about, you had the kids. Where do you think the second highest is? Think in terms of how long people have been married. What's that? Okay, that's good enough. It's about people that have been married 25, we'll say 20 to 30 years, right in that area. Now, when I first heard this stat, I was like, what? That just doesn't make sense. They've been married that long, and that's the second highest divorce rate behind teenagers? That just doesn't make sense. How does that happen? Well, the way that it happens, and it happened more so, it's still happening today uh, for a little different reasons, but let me go back to the Aussie and Harriet days first and say that it used to happen more so because a man would throw himself into his what? His work, his career. That became his number one priority. Now, later on comes the midlife crisis. That's all right. We, we, don't, we don't want to throw, but that uh, contributes later on to the midlife crisis. But they throw, he throws himself into his job. Most men, um, we identify ourselves, sadly, by one of the first questions men ask each other, what do you do? That's one of the first questions. We identify ourselves by what we do. We throw ourselves into our job. We throw ourselves into our career. I mean, this is it. And that becomes priority number one. A woman, especially in the Aussie and Harriet days, was more of the stay-at-home. She threw herself into what? The children. Now watch this. About 20 years down the road, the guy's career is generally pretty well established. He's now got it pretty well made. He's made it probably about as far as he's going to go. He's up there. He's, he can kind of sit back a little bit. He's worked like a dog to get to this place of success. His wife, the kids at the same time, are now growing. And what are they doing? They're leaving the house. So he now suddenly has more time. She has more time. And you have two people who look at each other and go, Who are you? Who are you? Oh, you're that one that I passed for years. We just kept passing each other. Nowadays, it's complicated even more as more and more women join the workforce and they're involved in work. Now you have that complication. But I will say this, women still have that nesting instinct. Even those who work in the workforce tend to have more of a nesting instinct within them. And that care of those children especially is like, it's like the most important. But the kids go, they do. They're going to leave later. That empty nesting, that's a reality. That's a reality. And so what you want to do is all through that period there, you don't want to be shocked 30 years down the road at somebody going, I don't know who you are and I'm no longer in love. And I'm going to leave. You want to keep your mate a priority through those years. Again, for those of us who are kind of on the other side, no matter where we're at in our status, we're on the other side. We can talk to these, these that are younger than us and we can say, look, guard that, guard that, guard that. Make them a priority. Make them a priority because it's so easy. I mean, it's so easy for other things to become more important. Make your mate a priority. That's what that Scripture said. Except for mutual consent, we will come together. We will make this a priority. We're not going to let things come between us. And that's talking about a physical union, which may be the most, uh, most oneness of a marriage. So if it's true in the physical, it's true in the other things. 
we're going to make it a priority. Except for mutual consent that there may be times where we just can't. We're going we're gonna to find that alone time. Who was it that said the alone time? I think it was you, Becky. We're going to find that alone time. We're going to work at it. We're going to guard it. We're going to be jealous for it. If I have to say, if I have to get another job, I'm making another job, we're going to watch it. Listen, I'm going to tell you something real quick. And I, I don't have time for these stories, but this is a big story, and it's about me. Something happened in my own life. I think I've shared it at the church, so some of you may have heard it. Several years ago, discipling young guys in the first church that I pastored. And uh, these young guys were all um, aspiring to get into the ministry. And I was meeting with them weekly and pouring myself into them. I love, I love. I mean, this is what I, kind of what I live for, is discipling people and raising them up and setting them out to do what God wants them to do. And so these were young guys, and I actually looked forward to this meeting with them. So in one of our meetings, I told them, I said, I want you to go home because your wife has to be on board with this. Because there's sacrifices in the ministry. So your wife has to be on board with this. And I want, I want you to go home, and I want her to write a letter. You're not going to open it. You're not going to see it until you come here next week. And you're going to read it. And I will have my wife write a letter as well. I won't look at it either. And I'll read mine next week. And so we all gathered together and each one read theirs. And some of it was kind of painful. I don't know. You know, maybe his character isn't quite what everybody thinks it is. You know, it's kind of embarrassing for different ones. Or, you know, I'm afraid that, you know, right now he'll, he'll devote all his time to this and not to the kids. And, to, and so it was really good teaching time. And I got to mine. And I opened it up and I'm reading and my wife started off by saying, she said, there's not a man that I respect more than my husband. His love for Jesus is unparalleled. And he would do anything, sacrifice, for God's people. And I read a little bit more, and I mean, it was just like, you couldn't be more ballooned up. And then she said, the only thing is, I feel that if I want to see him, then I'm probably going to have to call and make an appointment. I started at that moment to cry. I just fell apart. I couldn't even read it because I was totally unaware, completely unaware of it. It's like being blindsided, but it wasn't done maliciously. She was just speaking her heart. She said, when my kids are constantly, our kids are constantly yelling, don't take my daddy away, don't take my daddy away, only to see their daddy take off. And it's always ministry this, ministry this, ministry this, ministry this, ministry this. And by the time it was over, I looked at those guys and I said, Obviously, there's some work that needs to be done in my own home. And I went home, and I told my wife, you know, some guys would get mad, and they would go home and say, you embarrassed me in front of people. I'm discipling. There was none of that. I repented to my wife. I said, it's going to be awfully hard for me to change, and I don't know the balance here. It's going to be this crazy balance for the rest of our life because God does come before you, but ministry comes after you, but the two of those are so intertwined, sometimes it's hard for me to know the difference. And so I'm going to have, ask you to help me in this. But when you see me, and for the rest of my life, I feel like I've been trying to walk this balance. But I backed off. I backed off a lot because I was spending hours on top of hours. Now, were there, are there weeks? Are there times? This week this week's going to be a week of crazy sacrifice. Next week's going to be even more crazy. My wife knows there are those times where we sacrifice. She expects that. She's on board. This is kingdom. The kingdom comes first. But she also knows that I will guard this. I'll try to find time, and I will make it right. I will, I'll balance that out. And it's not easy. It's a priority. And it can happen to any of us. I believe had I not got that letter, who knows what would have happened to my marriage? Who knows? There have been people in the ministry whose marriages have not made it. So who knows what would have happened to it? That was wake-up call for Richard Curtis. Number four, protect. Protect your marriage. Protect your marriage. Log number four. This one we're going to talk especially about immorality because immorality has really crept in, uh, even into the church. And, and men having affairs, women having affairs, and, and we're going to talk about the importance of protecting our marriage, our marriages from those things because it can happen. It can happen. All right. Go ahead. First Corinthians six eighteen. Flee from sexual immorality. Read uh, verse 12 of the next one, too. 1 Corinthians 10, 12-13. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. 
No temptation has seized you except what is common to a man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. The scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13, I call it the perfect balance. It says you can fall. Verse 12, you can fall. You can fall. Take heed, lest thinking you stand, you fall. You can fall. But verse 13 says, but you don't have to fall. It's the perfect balance. You can fall. I can fall. I need to be aware of that. I can fall. If I'm not aware of that, if I'm cocky and proud and think I can't fall, oh, I'm above this, I'm spiritual, I'll never fall. I'm setting myself up for a fall. So any of us in this room, any of us in this room could fall. Any of us in this room could fall. But God says we don't have to fall either. It's not like this is inevitable. I can't help it. Oh, it's going to happen. So, no, no. He says you don't have to fall. No temptation taking you. I'll make a way of escape. You're going to have to look for that way of escape. But the temptation will come sometime or another. It will come. And everyone in the room needs to be aware of that. Everyone in the room needs to be aware of that. Uh, Guys, we are, and it's important that we know our vulnerabilities. Guys, we are especially vulnerable to, first of all, lust. Lust of the eye, especially. Look, you know, we can't blame God for this, but God made us to where we see things. And this can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing, depending on how it's used. But we can get very turned on and very quickly just by things we see. Pornography is a multi-million dollar industry for men. They try it with women, and it pretty much flops and fails. Now, I know that there's some, there's always exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, most women, you know, if you did some kind of strip tease show, they'd be, they'd be giggling and laughing, embarrassed, and everything else. Like, oh, my gosh. Not guys. Not guys. The most godly among us. If, it, if something was flaunted before us, we would struggle with that. Because it's something that is very tempting for us. So guys need to be aware of that. We may need to make, as Job said, we need to make a covenant with our eyes. Pornography is more prevalent now and more available now than ever before. You don't have to go into some slinky store, hope that nobody sees you, and try to buy a magazine. Now it's available online. It's available online. And listen, I tell guys... More so guys, women can, and if a woman is tempted in this area, I don't want somebody to feel weird if they are, because if somebody is tempted in that area, it can happen. There's exceptions to that rule, but especially guys, I tell them, there's some software out there, and you basically, you make yourself, you find somebody that you trust, that you know loves you, number one, but secondly, loves you enough to confront you, and then you sign up for this software, it can be for your phone, it can be for your computer, it can be for... All of those devices by which you have access to pornography. And if you're struggling with it, I urge you to do this. I'm speaking primarily to the guys, us guys. Find somebody. I have some men who do this with me. They send it to me. Basically, it's a report. They don't send it to me. A report comes to me. If they get on any questionable site, guess what? It comes to me. It's amazing the deterrent that that is. It's amazing. I'm just saying we need to guard this because pornography is like a first step toward an affair later on. It's a very dangerous thing. Guys are susceptible to lust, especially of the eye. This is why Jesus said, Job said, I'll make a covenant with my eyes. Jesus said, if any man looks on a woman to lust after her, he's committed adultery already in his heart. So for a guy, it's all about the look, the look. But the second way guys are, and I didn't know this for years, the second way guys are just like, oh, the the hook in their mouth, is flattery. You flatter a guy, and they're like, okay, what do you want? Because guys like to feel respected. They like to feel important. They like to, respect's very, somebody said respect. Respect is very important for a guy, and especially if he feels like he doesn't have that at home. The enemy will make sure that somebody comes along that will give him what he's not getting at home. 
Now, that's not putting the onus on the woman. It's putting the onus on both. It's still no excuse to sin. So flattery, and it will happen. Those in the ministry, anybody in the room here, the guys aspiring for the ministry, know this, temptation will come. Temptation will come. Just tell you that. It will come. It will come in forms of flattery. It will come from my son, who was part of a Christian rock band, a Christian rock band. He talks about going to a concert. He'll be laughing about this. He talks about going to a concert. He said, before I got up and played, Dad, I'm walking through the crowd. They don't know me because they don't know Run Kid Run yet. They don't know. They haven't heard us play. I'm walking through the crowd. Nobody's looking at me. I'm just, I'm just this white dude walking through the crowd. You know, I'm a nobody. He said, I got through with our Christian show. Now, he wasn't married at the time. So not all of this was bad stuff. But he said, just to give you a point, he got through with his Christian show. Now he's walking through the crowd, followed by this legion of girls, all going crazy over him. That's often what happens to people, guys, especially who aspire into the ministry. You will hear from wives who will say, oh, I wish my husband was like you. And flattery gets a lot of guys. So we need to know our vulnerabilities, know that we can fall. I know that I can fall, but I don't have to. But I need to know those temptations. I need to be aware of those temptations. Women are much more susceptible to emotional things, to romance, to touch. In Corinthians, it says it's not good for a man to touch a woman because women are much more susceptible to touch rather than look. A lot of women have emotional affairs long before they ever would think of having a physical affair. Somebody who gives them what they're not getting from their husband. And by the way, again, there's no excuse for the woman either. But guys, I often say, if you're not giving your wife what she needs, there'll be some guy lined up out there who'll be glad to give it to her. Serious stuff. So, log number four, I'm going to protect my marriage. I want to protect it because there's vicious uh, vultures who would love to come in and wreck my home. Some of them aren't even vicious. Some of them are just innocent pawns themselves that fall to temptation themselves. And before you know it, something bad has happened. So I want to protect my marriage. I want to guard my marriage. I want it to last, and I want to keep the flame burning at home so that I'm not tempted to look for a flame somewhere else. And that takes continually throwing logs in the fire. All four of these. These are very general, but all four of them do. Let's flip to the kids. You guys ready? We're flipping. Hard to do such a quick flip. Wow, here we go. I'm sorry that this happens every week. On these first three, I'm going to give them to you because I want to get to the five things we need to pass down to our kids. So there's like a little extra thing in here. I I took out some of it, but I didn't take this out. And I'm just going to give them to you very quickly, the importance of passing the baton. Now we're talking about, Fred, you said this in your comment, I think, about it was God's plan of passing Christianity or the gospel from one generation to the next. It's primarily through the family. Spencer, I love what you told me. You said as you were praying about the commitment to the church and and with God would set you here, and you said, you know, I love Sunday school, and I, and I want to honor the Sunday school teacher. I'm, I'm wording it maybe different than you said, but the bottom line, you says, I never want that to take the place of what I want to do at home. And I love that because too many parents just abdicated all to Sunday school. Man, if you're thinking one hour of Sunday school is going to take the place of a parent, it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. That's not enough time. They can, they can complement at best what you're doing at home. And, and we want our teachers. Our teachers want to complement, but it's got to be happening at home. So we're going to be passing the baton of faith to our kids. Why is that important? I think, do you have these bullets under yours? The continuance of Christianity depends on it. Do you have that? And a, your child's eternity depends on it. You know, Michael's too young right now, but there's, there's coming an age, and, and as much as she keeps bringing him, he'll be young. It won't be 12. It'll probably be more like four or five. 
that he will start asking questions and she can lead him to the Lord. His eternity, our children's eternity, depends on us passing the baton and knowing how important that is. Secondly, for the continuance of God's blessing from one generation to the next. If you read the book of Judges, what's the one thing you'll notice in the book of Judges? Anybody know? One generation was godly. The next generation wasn't. Then the next generation was godly. Then the next generation wasn't. They were dropping the ball. They were not passing the baton. I don't care how godly a generation is. If we're not passing the baton to our kids, we're messing up. Now, if you're doing everything you can, your kid's kind of wild and they're kind of out there because I don't want people to walk out with condemnation, and you've done what you can, then you just got to believe for them to come back in, and they will. They will. But I'm telling you, we need to be... We need, this is serious stuff. The most serious job you have, if your kids are young, we have some that, whose kids are young... Your most serious job is parenting. That's your biggest ministry. For a continuum of the testimony and witness, Christianity continues because parents tell it to kids. Kids tell it to their kids. Their kids tell it to their kids. You and I, look at this. What, 2012, 2,000 years after Jesus came, Christianity is still growing. Fastest growing, by the way. Fastest growing religion. On the face of the planet is Christianity. Fastest growing. Muslims slowly, not far behind, but the fastest growing. And it's because people are passing the baton. Not just to their kids, they're also witnessing to other people. But we want to make sure we pass. I want to take, I, I, Linda and I used to always say this, we want all of our kids to be in heaven with us. We want them all to be with us. And we would tell the enemy, we would pray over our kids, and we would tell the enemy, you're not going to have any of our kids. None of them. You won't have them. We're taking them with us. And so we've claimed that over them. There have been times where they've kind of wandered off, just like other kids. We continue to pray that over them. Enemy will not have them, period. But we have to do our part, too. It's not just a matter of praying. You have to pass the baton. So, by the way, you might want to write down this, this quote. You're no success without a successor. I almost guarantee you that will be a quiz on the quiz. You're no success without a successor. Now, that's true for anything you do. You're not really a If you leave it and there's no successor in your place when you leave it, then you really haven't succeeded. And people do that all the time. They leave things and there's no successor. You want to have a successor in place to the best of your ability. And if God, for whatever reason, were to ever say, Rich, it is time for you to leave. I have something else for you to do. There should be a Joshua. Moses had a Joshua. He put him before the people. Long before Moses was going, he already had his Joshua. Joshua was already getting acclimated to the people. And when Moses was taken, guess what? All the people followed Joshua because they knew that was the successor. Jesus had his disciples. Paul had his Timothy. I mean, Elijah had his Elisha. And there's several cases in the Bible where you have successors. There's failures, too, where they didn't have successors, like the book of Judges. So you're no success without a successor. Let me give you these five C's. And I, I wanted to ask you a few things on this one, but again, we've kind of run out of time. I can't believe that an hour and a half can go so quick. I cannot believe it. Five things we must pass on to our kids. Uh, I've given all these a C, creed, our creed. Next day, in parentheses, so that you understand what we're talking about, you can write beliefs, our beliefs. Let's go ahead and we do want to read the scriptures. If you can just keep that mic moving as soon as you're through reading, pass it on to the next person. Go ahead, please. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. Go ahead and read that verse 6. I know I did skip one above that, a couple above that. My fault. Okay. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Guess what? You're doing a lot of talking to your kids about Jesus. When you're laying down, when you're getting up, when you're going down the road, when you're walking, when you're sitting. I mean, you're putting them everywhere. And this isn't the whole. You can read the rest. They're talking about other places you can put these and keep them in front of your children. Why is it so important? Some of the bullets 
their eternity. We already said that. They will be tested. I remember my daughter Rachel went off to college. She went off to a liberal arts college, supposedly, you know, Christian college. She would call me with these questions because in theology they were bombarding her faith and causing her to try to question things that the Word of God said. And she'd call me back up and she said, Okay, Dad, this is what they're asking. Give me some Scripture. Help me out here. I know some Scripture. This is what I have. And I'd give her some Scripture. And we would just... We made sure she got through that college because most kids, young people, even on fire teens, the number one place where kids fall away is in college. It's, it's a, I mean, it's a, basically a bastion of liberal uh, theology and unbelief and, of course, kids free for the first time, a lot of temptations. And so your, their faith will be challenged when they get to that college. It will be challenged before that, but it's going to be tested. So you want to get the Word of God in them. There'd be times Rachel would call me and I'd say, what did you say? What do you feel? I would ask her. She said, well, this is the Scripture. This is what I think. And I said, absolutely. That's the Word of God. Fight that thing with the Word of God. And she came out of that college. Every bit is on fire, probably more on fire for God than she went into that college. So I'm telling you, it can be done. But she was tested. She was tested. All right? Uh, It gives them a foundation for life, helps them discover God's will. What what does God have for me? Get into the Word of God, kids. Uh, And also for their children's sake. We also want to pass on our conduct. I do have to ask you real quickly here, why is conduct so important? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Look Look underneath there. Most values are what? Do you have that bullet or no? Maybe not. Oh, well, you, you need to write this bullet. You need to write No, it won't be over there. So if it's not, I'm sorry. It's not, I need to look more at what those notes I print off for you guys. See what you have and what I have. Here you go. You want to write this down. Most values are caught, not taught. Most values are caught, not taught. They're imitators of what they see. So you can teach them until you're blue in the face, but if they see you doing other things, you really, really, really are negating your teaching. A picture is worth what? A thousand words. It does not work. In fact, they, they'll be, they hate hypocrisy. Kids hate hypocrisy. They hate it. They can't stand that. So you want to be the real deal. An example poem. I don't know. You probably don't have this either then, do you? No. Uh, you know what? I think you will. This is on, I think. Is it an example poem? Yeah. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one would walk with me than merely tell the way. The eye is a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Find counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. The best of all the parents are the ones who live their creeds to see good put in action is what every child needs. I soon, uh, let's see, how's that? that? That's, that's misprint there. I soon learn to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. The lectures you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. I may not understand the high advice you, that you may give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. Number three, character, or C, character. I'm going to give you these last two. We've got about three minutes. Becky, I mean Betsy, not Becky, Betsy. I, I always try to honor the fact that she's been down with the children all this time. So we got good kids, but, and she tells me they're wonderful kids. But it's still a long time. Uh, Romans 8.29. I'm even going to take the time to read the Scriptures. I'm sorry. Uh, you can, in fact, read the Scriptures later. They're important. Character is who you really are. This is who you really are. Some people may say, what's the difference between conduct and character? Conduct is what people see on the outside. Character is what's on the inside as well as the outside. In other words, you can't see my motives. I may be giving for the entirely wrong motive. All you see is that I'm giving. I may be doing it to be seen. Wrong motive. God knows the motives. So character is what you are on the inside. Somebody once said, character is what I am when nobody's around. But the kids, your family, is the one thing that you can't hide the character because you're around them all the time. And so 
they see the character bleed out in you. They see the motives. They see the attitudes. You know, on a Sunday morning, we can all look like saints. You know, we can. I adjust my halo before I come so it looks pretty good. But my kids, they saw me every day, day in, day out. And you know what? You, can, you can't hide character over a long period of time. It eventually bleeds out. So we want to make sure what we are on the inside is really genuine. Uh, commitment or priorities. We want to pass on. I told you that my kids would say, don't take my dad away. The balance to that is that my kids, there were times I remember painting. We were painting inside of a building and my kids fell asleep on the church floor while we were painting. There were a lot of times my kids had to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. And I want them to know that sacrifice is part of the kingdom of God. If they don't see, if it's not important to us, then it's not going to be important to them. They know if it's important. They know if it's important. They see the sacrifices or they see the lack. No sacrifice. It's your priorities. The stats, you have this on your paper. The both parents, if they're very faithful and involved, it's on that separate sheet of paper. Both parents, when they're very faithful and involved, this is just attending church service. This has nothing extra. If both parents are very faithful and involved, 93% of those kids remain faithful to the Lord when they grew up. If one parent, and this is where you have two parents in the same house, and only one is faithful. It's not talking about single parents. The single parents can fall under that first step, by the way. So, yeah, amen to that. One parent faithfully attends. Maybe the other doesn't. 73% of those kids still remain faithful. Both parents are just reasonably involved. Almost half the kids are lost. 53% continue on. And when parents just hit and miss, only 6% of those kids go on to be faithful to the Lord, faithful followers of the Lord. And I look at people like Anna, especially Anna in this particular case, who is the youngest child here. And I always encourage her. She was telling me the other day, I said, I want to tell you again, I guess this is your day to be encouraged. But I said, you know, you have a little one. And she said that there was like a couple months ago where she was in the nursery for the umpteenth time saying, I don't even know why I come. I don't even know why I come. And how many times has a mom felt that? My, my wife went through that by herself. I couldn't help her at all. And so there are a lot of times, especially planning churches, we didn't have nursery workers. She'd be back wrestling with kids. And I know that there was, you know, you stair-step that. That's like ten years in a row. You're not getting hardly anything out of anything. But she faithfully went. And eventually what happens is those kids develop that this is important. And they start to become behave themselves. Whereas if you only bring them in frequently, they never learn to behave themselves. They eventually learn what's right, what's wrong, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Hang in there. I tell people, hang in there through those times. Because if you drop out, not only are your kids hurt, but the chances are you'll never come back. Because you're out of the habit of going. And I've seen it. I wish I could say I never saw that, but I've seen it too many times. Last of all, care. We want to make sure that we give our kids, pass on care. You can put in parentheses, loves. Love. Commitment, parentheses, priorities. Care. I do want to say this about care, and I'm going to close it with this, these two things. First of all, we're older now. All of our kids, our youngest, our youngest child is 27 years old. So we're older now. Our kids are grown. Our job, other than, other than being there for console now, is pretty much done. Whatever we did, good or bad, it's pretty well done. We don't have those years to keep pouring into them like we used to. And every once in a while, we'll get it, almost every Father's Day and Mother's Day, and my wife and I, we laugh about it. We joke about it. We've even told our kids jokingly about it. We get these cards. And I'll read this Father's Day card, and I'll go, I'll look at my wife and go, who is this guy? This guy's perfect. It's not me. Now, here's the thing. Take those first four. And the last one, love covers a multitude of our shortcomings. You love your kids. You really, really love them. And it's amazing. Later on, they send you cards like you were perfect. Oh, they know you weren't. But they were loved. They were loved, and they knew that. And they knew you tried. And so you're sitting there reading the card, and you're going, I feel guilty reading this. 
And we told our kids, like, who's this guy? You sent us to the wrong one. They're like, nah. They start laughing. They go, no, it's you, it's you. And I go, no, you know, it's not. No, you were good. You were a good dad. You were a good dad. They never mentioned the love, but it's because of that love. And touch. Did you know that touch, they say eight to ten times a day, you should touch your children. Eight to ten times a day. Yeah. Touch is important for that feeling of being accepted, loved. I grew up in a home, maybe some of you did, my dad's generation. It was hard for him to say, I love you. It was just hard. It was really hard. It wasn't until I was an adult that I heard him say, I love you. But my dad came and he saw my kids and I couldn't believe what he told me. He said, your kids are loved and they know it. They know it. And we would touch them and we would hold them. Yeah. Father, we've covered just lots of ground. We've talked about marriages. We've talked about our children. The most important titles that we will wear in this life are husband, wife, mom, dad. It's more important than pastor. It's more important than doctor, teacher, welder, carpenter. It's the most important thing we do. Our family. And if our families are failing, then our church will fail. And if our churches are failing, then our nation will fail. But it all goes back to the family. Lord, strengthen the families of our church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Remember next week, I'll try to send an email and I'll take Betsy's name off of it. And um, because I think